Hey everyone, Mark and Steve here. Before we get started today, we want to let you know about Dare to Connect, our new online interactive video platform. For less than the cost of a therapy session, you and your spouse get live access to both of us three times a week. Each 30-minute live group support session provides interactive mentoring and healing for addicts, spouses, and couples. If you're loving our podcast and our unique style of bringing you recovery, you're going to love Dare to Connect. To learn more, go to daretoconnectnow.com. We're looking forward to seeing and working with you. Hey, everybody. I'm Steve Moore. And I'm Mark Castleman. We know the pain and heartbreak of porn and sex addiction. And we know the triumph of breaking completely free. Every day, we help our clients find hope and healing. Join us in the fight to take back your life, your marriage, and be stronger than ever. This is the PBSC Squared Podcast. Hey, everybody, Mark and Steve on the PBSC podcast. Uh, Today, we're going to address a really raw and super authentic uh, comment and question we had come into the PBSC website. Mm, Uh, Keep sending those questions in because we love to address them. So Steve and I don't have to sit around and say, what are we going to talk about today, Steve? (laughs) This is by way, uh, this is episode 92. Can you even fathom that? Yep, we're coming up on a hundred. We're coming episodes. up. We're going to do something special for our hundredth episode. We're not sure what that is yet. We also just, uh, I guess, we should mention this since you're mentioning that. We just passed a hundred thousand downloads, and we now have listeners in 127 countries. Well, wow, that's I. Yeah, I'm just, which is wild. Know, I'm humbled by that and amazed. Absolutely, and, man. The this, the really super awesome, crazy, exciting part of technology, right? Along with all the destructive side that we deal with all the time with our clients, but that's so awesome. So let's, uh, yeah, let me read this. So my wife and I recently listened to your episode on healthy sex versus toxic sex episode we did uh, way back when I realize now that for our whole marriage, sex has been toxic and me centered. Mm. I asked my wife if she identified with the part in the episode where you said some wives discover feeling abused in this process. And she said, yes. Uh, So he said, this Mm. crushed me. My question is, how do I process the shame and self-hate that comes with learning my wife feels this way? How can I forgive myself, especially if she is still struggling to forgive me? Self-forgiveness seems selfish before she offers forgiveness. Will I ever stop feeling like a monster? Yeah. Wow. Great comment. Very, very much one I think we can both relate to a lot. Oh man, can I? Yeah, if I if I get really personal on this one, I remember when I kind of call it waking up. Mm-hmm. I, I uh, if you go to the New Testament um, parable of the prodigal, the prodigal son, I love the statement yeah. where it says he came to himself. Mm-hmm. Right. Suddenly realized he was he was laying in a pig trough, wallowing in filth, having just visited the Vegas of his day 
and blown his entire inheritance. And then he came to himself. Yes. And then right there, here comes the tidal wave of feelings. When that happens, you kind of wake up. And I remember when I went through this process um, is I was like, wow, I've actually been doing this my whole marriage. And this is how my wife has felt the whole time. <laughs> and it was really, really hard. Yeah. Um, and I sometimes go through that now where, uh, but now more than a, more than a big old deep sense of shame, <clears throat> self-hatred and self-flogging, I often say that it really has shifted kind of to a really deep, sad place in my heart um, where I just kind of feel the depth of it, where it's just like, ugh. Yeah. Right? And quite frankly, I look back and I go, I, 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 I don't even know that guy. Who was that guy? Yeah. Right? Mr. Hyde. And, you know, here I am as, you know, Dr. Jekyll looking back and going, whoa, are you kidding me? Mm-hmm. And today what it does, fortunately, most of the time is it, it gives me a deep sense of wanting to do better. It, it, yeah. it motivates me. I'm not going back there. I'm not going back to that guy. But, but answering his question, right? How, how do you deal with the shame, the self-hatred? How do I forgive myself, especially uh, when she hasn't forgiven me yet? You know, mm-hmm. how, how, will I ever stop feeling like I'm a monster? Yeah, that's a great question. And I, and I, uh, I can also relate as well. I mean, I, I've said this before, I think, on our, on our podcast, but recovery for me was the hardest, not in year one. It was years two and three, um, which sounds kind of weird to a lot of people. I, I, when I first got serious about recovery, I definitely had an awareness, right, that this was hurting me and hurting my wife and the people around me. But it did take some sobriety in quite a while in my case to really kind of experience what you're describing, right, where it just it kind of was a gradual process where I just could not believe. I mean, there was a time there for about three months, I remember. <laughs> Where I'd be coming home from work, and if I heard like any remotely sappy song on the radio at all that like reminded me of me and my wife, like I'd just start like I'd walk in the door crying after work, and my wife would be like, "What is going on? <laughs> What's going on with you?" And I'd just be like, "I'm so sorry," and she'd lovingly sit down and say, "We've talked about this. Like we're moving on." And <laughs> I know I did the same thing. And by the way, I'm glad you said that. That because for me, this was not at the beginning of my recovery process. This was years into my recovery process. Yes. That I started to be able to look back and go, oh my gosh, who was that? Mm-hmm. Part of the challenge, and, and I know you know, you and I have received, we've had some um, challenges with some recent clients, both of us, yeah, who go through what we what we I was gonna say affectionately call, or I don't know what, I don't know what adjective to use with it, but the pink cloud of recovery, Mm, you're kind of in the pink cloud, right? You've discovered recovery. It's new. It's exciting. It's novel. It's awesome. You're making, you're making strides and progress. You never thought you could make, and you're kind of floating in this pink unicorn cloud of recovery. And that can actually go on for months or in some cases, even years until you finally get to where you're you're truly truly ready to start doing the really deep painful work yeah and i so i was in the pink cloud of recovery for actually for years in my case and <laughs> and you can recognize us when we're in that place because we know how to say all the right words we're like a walking encyclopedia of recovery terminology 
Yeah. And we spout it and we declare it and people are like, wow, you, you're so amazing. You know, a lot about recovery. <laughs> wow. <laughs> I was, I was the worst at that because not only could I spout off recovery lingo, I was, I was reading addiction neuroscience books. And so I could give all kinds of big in-depth Harvard sounding neuroscience lectures. And <laughs> it was very impressive, mm. except it wasn't. <laughs> yeah, for sure. No, so true. So true. And so, yeah, there's a, you know, this is kind of a complicated question because there is a little bit of a kind of a spiritual dynamic, dynamic to this. Very much so. You, you know, and Mark and I, we make no bones about this being a Christian program. And so when you, when you, there is that to be said, we'll talk about that a little bit, but let's also talk about kind of the psychological side. Mm -hmm. um, for me, this is just speaking to my own experience. Um, I, I have found forgiveness both spiritually, but also intellectually to be a process that's important to divvy up between the parties involved. Mm. Um, because I very much reference with what this guy is saying. I was raised in a faith tradition where I don't think it was doctrine that it was, it was the way this listener is describing, but it was very much implied, right? That seeking the forgiveness of a person that you had wronged was almost a baseline requirement for what I look at as kind of the other two pieces, quote unquote, of seeking forgiveness, which is, you know, with myself and with my higher power. So I got myself, my higher power, the other person, right? Right. And I was kind of always just, it was sort of just implicitly defined that, you know, you had to do that with the other person and you had to obtain that in order for you to be okay. Yep. Right. And that's one of the many benefits that 12-step has taught me because I 12-step talks about a concept which is similar to forgiveness, but they use the term called amends. Making amends. Making amends. Mm -hmm. And making a good amends, and some of you who've heard some of my crazy experiences in doing my step eight and nine with some family members and some other people will know, there's, there, there is a real necessity around making amends, I have found personally, to understand what that actually means. When I make an amends, there is not a required transaction happening between me and the other person. Um, what I mean by that is, is when I go to make an amends to somebody, the goal is not the same as that traditional idea of quote unquote forgiveness that I used to adopt, which was that, hey, I've got to, I've got to for, ask for the forgiveness and then they've got to reciprocate, right? right? And say, it's okay, don't worry about it, whatever. Amends, what the amends process teaches is that I do need to go be accountable to the persons that I've wronged, the people that I've hurt, and I need to be open and transparent about that. And I also need to put out there, you know, my very best effort in terms of trying to literally fix some of the damage that I've done where possible, right? So make that gesture. But by the same, which, which sounds very similar to what most people would consider, I think, forgiveness right up to that point. But for me, a clear defining moment with that, and my sponsor was really good at the time in walking me through this, whether or not that other person forgives you is none of your business. If they reciprocate that and say, thank you so much, you, you know, we're good, that's awesome. But the way he taught it to me was, you need to look at that as kind of like a bonus prize. Mm -hmm. That's not the thing that we're seeking in an amends. If that comes along as a result, great. But if not... Um, you can completely make an amends to this person and then you allow them to work it out with their higher power, right? What they want to do with it. And I really like that concept because for me, that empowered me, especially with some of the people who I knew were not going to respond well to my amends process. <laughs> yes. You know, I knew that there was a really good chance if I, when I tried to own things with them, they were just going to tell me and 
very crass terms to just go pound sand, like forget mm-hmm. it, mm-hmm. you know? And I knew that was coming and it ended up happening that way. And it, thank heavens I was prepared with a good sponsor, helped me to understand this concept that these, these three separate patterns of forgiveness or, or amends or whatever you want to term them are just that they are separate, right? I, my job 12 step teaches me is to do everything within my power to make change. And I have to let, I have to surrender the difference, right? What anyone else chooses to do, all I can control is me. And so for me, I found that to be really liberating when it comes to struggling with this piece of being able to forgive self, you know, before other people give that to us or, or do that in a way that, that we would like. Yeah, no. And those are great points about the forgiveness process. And the other thing I want to really help this guy who wrote in, <clears throat> there's a, uh, it's really easy in, in early recovery, and I'd say even mid-range recovery, as you start to come out of denial about, right, about your addiction and what you've done in the wake of destruction that you've created, we have to go through this process where we stop minimizing, justifying, rationalizing, right? Anything but hit but meet the problem head on. Our ego will use all kinds of you know, ego defense mechanisms to not confront this. Mm-hmm. Once you confront it fully, you are going to go through a time of kind of shock. Mm. Like, what have I done? Oh my gosh, right? It's, it's like he says, will I ever stop feeling like a monster? Mm-hmm. Well, sometimes in, in earlier or mid-range recovery, it is important when you look in the mirror to see the monster, to see yes. that side of you that has been, you know, kind of responsible and responsible and behind those really destructive behaviors, mm-hmm. you do need to confront that monster. It is important. But one, one thing that I will heavily, heavily emphasize, you have to be very, very careful that that does not bury you into a cycle of shame. Yes. Where you, you, now, you now step into that monster as your identity. This mm-hmm. is me. It will always be me right? I'm a pervert, a loser, a destroyer, right? A wretch. And now you walk around carrying this, this identity where it's I, 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 me, me, me. And you're literally utterly overcome with shame. Yeah. That will not serve you nor your spouse, nor anyone because shame and real recovery cannot coexist. Agreed. I'll often tell my clients, if, if, if you want to step into the true place of recovery, which is truly learning, right? Being mindful of what's been going on, recognizing what's led up to it, what you can do to come out of it. And you want to go into that lear- mindfulness and learning process, shame and learning cannot coexist. Absolutely. I love that. No, you're, you're absolutely right. Right. A guilty guilt as we, as we, we talk about on here, I, I just said this exact quote word for word to a client the other day. Guilt is healthy as far as it inspires change. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, guilt is a, you know, you know, well, there are a lot of spiritual paradigms around the concept of guilt. There are a lot of, there are a lot of clinical paradigms around the, the guilt piece, right? Whether you call that the light of Christ in some circles or whether you call that, you know, your own spirit, your own mental moral framework, right? Whatever you want to term it as it's the brain's, it's the brain's way of telling us what, Hey, we've just did something that goes way outside our, you know, how we want to conduct ourselves. Like we need to not do that again. 
Yeah, because you know? I don't like the outcome. I don't like exactly. it's not it's not the track going forward that I really desire it, most. It's, yeah, it's not taking me where I want to go. Right. Take, this is yeah. This yeah. takes us further away from who we want to be, what we're trying to become, not not closer. Yeah. So we caution this listener be, you know, be very, very careful of the shame process mm -hmm. and, and not letting it bury you. But what, what we would also encourage you as you're listening to this, one of the, the most effective ways, once you become aware of what you are and you realize what you've been doing and it shocks you, mm -hmm. as quickly as you can, you, you begin to now move yourself or shift yourself into this place of what can I start doing different? Yes. How can I begin to change the trajectory? Now that I know that this is where I've been and I've, I've quote, awakened to myself mm -hmm. now what can i do yes maybe we can give a quick a couple of quick um recommendations to this guy and all listening who might be in this place what can what can he do if he's recognized that his his approach to sexuality and his relationship has been toxic and me-centered and all these things what do you what do you now do to begin to come out of that hmm gosh that's a great question I think for me, and again, I'm speaking kind of to the psychological side, although it hits on the emotional too. I, if my, if I'm feeling, if I'm trapped in this place of guilt and or shame, right? How, however healthy or not it is, definitely there's kind of a lack of resolution in my mind to the situation, mm -hmm. right? So I think point number one is I need to check. I need to sit down and figure out what does resolution represent. In other words, what is my brain looking for? I think the second thing is I've got to check and make sure that that's actually realistic. Right. Because again, if I'm hung up on this other party forgiving me in a certain way or being a certain amount of okay with this following before I'm I can go forward. Yeah. I'm setting myself up for some real mm -hmm. problems. I agree because I can't control anybody else. Right. But then I think, I think the biggest thing is that you really want to examine the underlying. This is what helps me the most with this. What is the underlying purpose behind seeking this? Right. If my purpose, for example, is to be able to move on. Then I have to ask myself, is recurrent guilt and shame, is that helping me to move on? Right? Is that taking me where I want to go? Is it taking me in that positive direction? If it's not and it's holding me back, then I really need to do, you know, I need to reevaluate and look at, you know, again, what am I? I'm trying to figure out how to say this, but I guess, I guess what I'm trying to say is, am I trying to take something from this situation that the other person can't give? Mm. Am I trying to take something that I have to cultivate in, within myself and between me and my higher power? that I'm somehow looking for the other person to give me rather than, than getting that on my terms. I like that. So, so what I'm hearing when you express that is if we were to uh, suggest to this guy, what are the, some of the first things he can do? Yeah. If it, right. If it, it, what can I do within me, mm -hmm. not try to run and fix the situation with my wife, make her feel better mm -hmm. overnight, change our sex to be super healthy. What can I do within me? Well, the first thing I would ask, and I had to really face this, is what are the attitudes, the behaviors, the perspectives, the way I'm approaching sex? What is it that has been feeding this all this time? Yeah. Why have I come into the bedroom with these attitudes and, and really mm -hmm. push these behaviors? What is that about inside yes. of me? Yeah, absolutely. No, and I think you bring up a great point because- Going back to this kind of being hum, hung up on a spouse's pain, which we really do empathize with, and it's good that you're feeling some of that. Definitely. I, I think you have to get in your spouse's head a little bit. And I don't pretend to know this guy's wife at all, but having worked with many spouses over the years, both you and I, I would say that for the vast majority of the spouses that we work with, 
the whole reason why they're holding on to this is because or why they will look for accountability from a partner is what is what you're describing right they're looking for that change yes right they're looking for something different and so what if you if that is the case in, in this guy's case that would probably be the best way to gain that resolution right rather than more i'm sorry's you move to the problem solving part of this yes right so not just hey i'm sorry we expressed that remorse but then we move immediately to here are the things that i am going to work on changing that I've identified that are problematic. Help me see from your end, right? What things do you feel like would help us to have healthy sex? Yes. See, and and now this is <laughs> this is where it gets uh, crazy hard because one of the things I I I needed to be willing to do to volunteer to do with my wife was to go to her and say, "Oh man, this I, I, this like gives me." This causes me trauma to just describe this right now. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I had to go to yeah. her and say, please help me understand what this has been like for you all these years. Please mm-hmm. describe my approach to sexuality from your vantage point. Yeah. Ooh. Talk. I mean, okay. First of all, that was an invitation from me to, to invite her to express to me. Tell me what this has been like for you mm-hmm. all these times over all these years. That is not easy to hear, especially yeah. if you're going to show up and lean in and move towards her and receive what she's about to express to you. Mm. That was for me, that was shocking. That's like, oh my gosh, that's how I've been. Yeah. That's what this has been like for you. Yes. Right. So that's one part of it. And that, and, and I don't, that's huge. So the fact that oh, I'm saying yeah. that's one part of it, that one part is huge. Absolutely. We spend months with clients going through that process sometimes. <laughs> right? I mean, it's it's crazy. Totally. But then you also move to the place place of what what can I begin to do different now? Yeah. How sweetheart, how what do you want our our sexual intimacy to begin to look like? Mm-hmm. What do you need from me in order for you to feel safe, connected? adored, cared about, not objectified, what does that look like for you? Yes. And what kinds of things can I begin to work on? Totally. No, I think these are all great suggestions. I guess the last thing that we can kind of end with is, you know, this, this concept of, uh, how would I say it? It's, it's this idea of, of being able to trust the process. Mm, yes. And I think what I mean by that is, you know, we, we addicts for a variety of reasons have a really hard time trusting other people. And the, the reasons for that are complex. One of the biggest ones, you know, we, we say on this program oftentimes is shame and pride. They look like opposites, but they're actually, they have one big thing in common. They're both convinced that they're the only one right. And nobody can tell them that they're, that they're wrong. Yes. The shame-based man is convinced he's a pile of crap and no, he's not going anywhere, no matter how, what anyone says. And the prideful person does the same thing from the opposite spectrum. And real vulnerability isn't just expressing the authenticity of oneself. It's choosing to believe in the authenticity of the other. Mm. And, if an, and if the other person right, is vocalizing and saying, hey, like we can, I could go back and talk to old Steve in year two and three, right? I could have probably killed a lot less flowers for my wife and probably done a lot more trying to problem solve quicker. You know, <laughs> rather than just endless expressions of remorse, you know, she appreciated that, but
But there does come a point, guys, where I will tell you, my wife actually got bold with me one day. She's like, this is holding us back. <laughs> yeah, you keep apologizing and going into this place of you know shame and self-flogging. Yeah. But we're stuck. We we want to move. I want to move forward. Yeah. You need to trust me that I am okay. Right. Mm. That's and that's key. Right. If, now, if we don't obtain that from a spouse, like I said, we've got those other tools in place that are still at play that says that's not my business. That's up to them. Right. All that stuff we talked about at the beginning of this discussion. But but the other side of it is when we do achieve that from somebody, letting go of the shame and choosing to practice vulnerability and saying, I'm going to trust this person at face value. And if they tell me that this is resolved, if my ecclesiastical leader tells me that this is resolved, if I feel that from God that this is resolved, if I have spiritual impressions that this is resolved, if I have made amends with the people that are relevant to the process and they say it's resolved, then it's resolved. And it's and, important to move and forward. And the other side is, it led, but what if my spouse says, I don't know where I am and this isn't completely resolved. Yeah. yeah. Still pain. And I don't mm-hmm. know how long there's going to be pain. But I, but I want to try. I, I want. Yes. I want. I'm willing to go forward. Will you? Will you please start moving forward with me? Mm-hmm. And, and let me work this out as we go. Yeah, that can often be the case. No, absolutely, completely agree with that. Yeah, as you can see, there's lots to say. Oof, topic, boy, we I'm, could. Do I know like we got to run episodes on this one. All right. Well, we hope that helps. Um, yes, absolutely. And it's again, a our, point. the assignment with that is really just open up the dialogue. And start Absolutely. start to allow the raw and real authenticity of all of this to come out from yourself yes. and your partner. And please surround yourself with a support system if you're going to make that attempt. Don't what, do this by yourselves. And there are so many forms of those out there, Mark. I can think of one that's actually really, really good. <laughs> you do know system. about a support system. I know a support this, system. Right? Guys, we, we talk about this every week, but Mark and I, for the past six months now, yeah, about six yeah, months, yeah. we've had a program up and running called Dare to Connect. It's the first of its kind that we know of, where we offer online uh, interactive support to, to addicts, spouses, and couples. There are three separate half-hour sessions every week, support sessions, where we kind of do a live audience, where we take questions, give answers. Um, it's a lot of the benefits of traditional therapy. Obviously, it's not the same, nor is it designed to be therapy, but gives you a lot of the same benefits. At a fraction of the cost, we go in depth on every topic under the sun, ranging from this to this week. We're on on week two of boundaries. We planned on doing one week of boundaries discussion, and turns out it's been such a big topic. We're now on week two, and so, we actually had your wife on today in our in did. our our partner session. That was amazing. She offered some really cool insight as a spouse who's been doing long term recovery and is in long term recovery with me. We've I've been sober seven years. We've been together for fifteen. And she gave some really cool insight. We do that kind of stuff all the time. We'd love to have you join us. You can find out more info that, about that at uh, and, and score two-week free trial about that at uh, daretoconnectnow.com. Yep. All right. See you next time on PBSE. Take care, yep. everybody. Have a great week. Everything expressed on the PBSE podcast are the opinions of the hosts and the participants and is for informational and educational purposes only. This podcast should not be considered mental health therapy or as a substitute thereof. It is strongly recommended that you seek out the clinical guidance of an individual qualified mental health professional. If you're experiencing thoughts of suicide, self-harm, or a desire to harm others, please dial 911 or go to your nearest emergency room.